Dr. Rob Bell sent me an email this week, and I didn't respond to it because I didn't understand it. Uh, he's, he, he, he sent me somebody's, somebody's uh, exegesis on why it's important to know our sin. And I literally read through it, and I couldn't understand it. It was so it was so deep and intellectual and and then I just realized what what's going on here is like uh, the the idea that you can try to uh, get people to be persuaded by your intellectualism and knowledge is one thing uh, and also to take God's word. And to make it say what you want it to say. That's that's uh, that's the the jump, and um, and so I would I would say, uh, well, let me just let me get personal with you. Most of you know this story, and I'll try to say it as briefly as I can. But back in uh, two thousand, I know this eighteen months perfectly from 2000 to 2001, but I was doing uh, True Love Weights at Northside, and uh, I was Mr. True Love Weights. This was uh, to get the kids to sign a pledge to say that they were going to remain abstinent from sex. And I went all over the country, and we it was a big deal. And Keith Tyner emailed me and said, Hey, when my daughter, Caitlin, who was probably... I don't know, fourth grade. What were you in 2000? You were seven years old? Uh, he said, when my daughter gets into your youth group, I want to know when that True Love Waits program is because I want to make sure that she's not there. And immediately I started like sending Keith all these statistics about teen signing the, these pledges, you know, and everything else. And he said, let's go to breakfast uh, this Tuesday, I'll meet you at Panera at 7 o'clock. So I'm like, okay. And so I'm showing him all these statistics and everything else and uh, you know, proving my point. I even pulled out stuff from my 7th grade Sunday school teacher that I still had. Uh, I was pulling things from seminary. I was pulling things from everything that I had like learned. And Keith just literally like laid his Bible down here and started like pointing to different scriptures. The gist of our, our hit what he was saying was this, is that we were putting the kids underneath the law by having them sign these pledges. In other words, these kids were signing these pledges that said, I will do this, this, and this, and this, remain abstinent. Hey, trust me, I, I believe in abstinence, okay? Uh, and they weren't able to do it. The statistics eventually came out that said uh, those that signed the pledge cards waited three years longer than those who didn't sign the pledge cards. And if 75% of high school students, this, I'm totally chasing a rabbit here, 75% of high school students have already had sexual intercourse. Sorry to ruin their day for you parents. Uh, but if they're waiting only three years longer, it's, the statistics were pretty much proving that these pledges weren't being upheld. And then I went to my file and I actually saw kids I had a letter that said I can't even like come to church anymore because I blew it and I 
I'm embarrassed to face you. I'm like, so for a whole year, I went to Panera with Keith, Tuesdays at 7 o'clock. And I went to task with him about what he was teaching me in the scripture and what I was have been taught my whole life. And finally, after a point of, of, of just crisis, the whole like 2000 just kind of like buckled underneath me. Many in, in this room know what I'm talking about, uh, the specific stories. I literally found myself under my desk crying at one point, calling my mom like a little baby. I was that desperate. And <clears throat> probably of uh, April, May, June of 2001, I went to Panera with Keith, and I said, okay, all the things that you've been teaching me this last year, you're right, and I'm wrong. Everything that I've been taught my whole life, growing up, growing up, uh, Southern Baptist, and, and trust me, I'm not against Southern Baptist. I'm for Southern Baptist, so uh, it's still my heart. Uh, grew up Southern Baptist, went to Oklahoma Baptist University, went to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, did all that, taught for years. Uh, but you ask, what what was it that caused this? What's the big difference? To me, this is the biggest difference, and it's going to kind of blow you away when you hear this. But the biggest, the biggest difference, he's ready to receive it. The biggest difference for me is this, is that no one ever really told me in all those years the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. Like I went to church every Sunday. And I got all the Bible stories. I got them. I got them down. I got everything. I went to Oklahoma Baptist University, took Old Testament, took New Testament. But no one, like said, there's an Old Covenant and a New Covenant. And the Old Covenant, the Old Covenant is obsolete now. No one ever told me that. But it's written in Hebrews. <laughs> it's like right there in my Bible. It's written in Hebrews. It says the new covenant came along. And when the new covenant came along, it made the old covenant obsolete. But everything that I had been teaching, everything that I had taught, I taught right here. I taught this Bible and I still teach the whole Bible. I t still teach the Old Testament and New Testament. But for me, the deal was in the old covenant, they tried to do it in their own strength. Everything was underneath the law. They had to obey the law. They had to obey the Ten Commandments. They had to do everything. And God said, you can't do this. You can't do this. Over and over and over and over and over again, they said, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. They failed. They failed. God cursed them. And then all of a sudden, they repented. And then they kept trying again. We'll do it again. We'll do better this time. Have you ever said that? Give me one more chance. I'll do it better this time in my own strength. Finally, Jesus came and he said, you cannot do this. I'll do it perfectly for you. Just rest. Trust me. He said, trust me. And so at that point, I came to trust the Lord. Okay, Lord, if what I'm hearing from my friend and what I'm hearing from you is true, 
it's going to revolutionize my whole ministry, and it did. It was at that point that God revealed to me something different. Didn't make me any better than anybody else, <laughs> promise you. Didn't make me any better than I already was. I just understood it a little different. And I'll never go back. I'll never go back because what I see now and what I saw then is two different things. And so that takes me into John chapter 9. I tell you that for a reason. In John chapter 9, we're still at the end of the, the Feast of the Tabernacles and the Feast of Booths, and Jesus is talking with the Pharisees, and he's going to task with the Pharisees. <clears throat> and now, lays it on the line. Verse 1, it says, As he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. Now, that's, uh, that's kind of a big statement there, because you have to understand it says, From birth. Like, this guy has never, ever, ever seen anything. That means darkness. It's all he's seen is darkness his whole life. Now, what's happened here is there's been other people. Imagine, you know, they don't have the medical fields that we have now and, and, and the ability to, to, to help people with blindness and, 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 and things like that, like they, we do now versus when they did then. So there were probably a lot more blind people there and they got blind as they got older and sometimes that blindness would even go away like they would pray and that blindness would go away so they saw people actually healed from blindness but they never ever ever saw anybody that was born blind that was healed and because of that very fact right there the pharisees said there's a messiah that's coming and if this person if this person can heal a person that's blind from birth which has never been done before that's obviously a sign that he's the messiah and there were two other there were two other miracles that the pharisees taught throughout their history not in the scripture but through but through the pharisees look you can go through the whole book there's a mishnah there's a book called the mishnah it's about that thick it's about 1600 pages of all the laws that they've written that's pharisaic teaching and so this messianic miracles that they that they said look if somebody comes along and they heal a, a jewish leper that they make them clean again no one's ever done that before there's been a gentile leper that was healed in the old testament but but nobody's ever healed a jewish leper if he heals the jewish leper that's a sign that he's a messiah it's a sign that he's a messiah if they heal a mute someone who can't speak or hear if they heal a mute from being demon possessed because the pharisees would call out what's the what's your name and the demon would speak and they would call that demon out by name obviously a mute can't do that if jesus could heal this demon possessed mute then that's another sign that he's the Messiah. So there's three signs, and he's already done one in Matthew 8, and he's already done another in Matthew 12. After he did the second one, they said, look, you're doing this under the spirit of Beelzebub. You're doing this from the power of the evil one, the power of Satan, the power of devil. You are evil. The Jews said that. The Pharisees said that to Jesus, the Messiah. And he's like, you've just blasphemed the spirit. And I cut you off. You're not going to hear this. 
you're not going to hear the truth because I am the Messiah. He says, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You see, the Pharisees, the Jews taught that anybody that had some kind of deficiency to them probably received that because of a specific sin. Now, you all know, because as we teach here, that death and uh, the weather and uh, tax, <laughs> taxes from the front row here, <laughs> all came from the fall. All came from the fall in Genesis, all right? And so now the Pharisees have taught that this blind person that was born from birth, either his parents were sinners and it caused their baby to be born blind, or this baby that was kicking in the mother's stomach did some kind of sin in the mother's stomach and was born blind. How weird is that? Right? That's what they literally believed. That there was some kind of specific sin that this person or the parents did. And Jesus responded, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Everything that you've been taught, I'm telling you different. Would they believe it? Would they believe it? Jesus answered, This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. Now, just as I said, in the final analysis of all this, all the physical problems we know came from the fall. But afterward, to to blame a specific ailment or illness on a person because of a specific sin, I just can't get there. I just can't get there. All I will say is this. Only God knows why babies are born with handicaps. And only God can turn those handicaps into something that will bring good to the people and to the glory of his name. It's the only answer I have for you. Jesus said, we must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. In other words, he's like saying, look, we can sit here and have theological debates and discussions, or we can heal people. Which one do you want to do? Do you want to like have this discussion right now? Do you want to get down into this intellectual discussion and go down this rabbit hole Or do you want to sit here and do miracles for people? He says, after he said these things, he spit on the ground. (laughs) This is good right here. Jesus spits on the ground, and he made some mud from the saliva. That's disgusting, right? The The fact that, I think I've said this one other time when I taught this story, was like, the fact that Jesus wakes up every morning and goes, okay, God, what are we going to do today? What does this look like? 
how am I healing people today? God says, you're going to spit in the ground and make some mud today. What little boy wouldn't love doing that, right? Jesus literally, literally spits. And, I'm, and we're not talking just like one little spit. He's making mud, people. Jesus is like, he's in the, and he's getting his hands dirty. Like, Jesus is in there, and he's making spit mud balls. That's disgusting, right, ladies? Guys are like, who cares? You know, it's like. Now, watch this. It says, he made some mud from the saliva, and he spread the mud on his eyes. You guys would be going, oh, that's disgusting. But he's like putting mud on. You ever got mud in your eyes? Right? I imagine for a blind person, it's painful as well. Even though they can't see, they still have sensitivity to their eyeballs. He says, go, he told them. Wash in the pool of Siloam. If you, if you go with me in May, one of the things that is one of the coolest things and Micah and Corey, we didn't get to do this because we went to Bethlehem that day to see our friend Hap and Elizabeth. But one of the things that we missed that I'm looking forward to go back and doing is this, is the water didn't actually, there's like water that went around Jerusalem, but Hezekiah comes in and he builds these tunnels hundreds and hundreds of years ago so that the water actually runs through Jerusalem. And you go in these dark, dark tunnels, and the tour actually takes you through these tunnels where you're walking through water. You can't see anything from what I understand. And then eventually you, you see the light at the end of the tunnel. And at the end of the tunnel is this pool of Siloam, which basically means scent. That's what Siloam means. It means scent. I actually went to youth camp when I was a kid in Siloam Springs, Arkansas. And it was there they taught me about Jesus. They didn't teach me about the old new thing. Never got that till I got here. And so he, he sends the blind man to the pool of Siloam. And watch this. Very simply he says, So he left, washed, and came back seeing. Point for Jesus. Check that out. Every Sunday I get up, every Sunday I get up and I look at the Indianapolis Star and one other news thing just to see what news happened so I'm aware. And sure enough, there's Rose Duffy sitting right here on the third row playing volleyball Thursday night. I understand it didn't go so well, but that is a great picture right there. Congratulations. And you don't realize how many volleyball players we've got in here. This has become the volleyball church. <laughs> Seriously, it's like, uh, and we've got some incredible volleyball players in here. Some incredible that have won uh, D1 scholarships and other scholarships, and it's pretty cool, but I'm, I'm just amazed at the volleyball ministry that we have going in here. And Nice job, Rose. You made the paper. Go in there and look. There's several pictures. Uh, and verse 8 says this. 
his neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, isn't this the one who used to sit begging? Some said, yep, he's the one. Others were saying, no, but he looks like him. They weren't like really sure, but obviously this guy's been there since he, who knows how long he's been blind since he was born. Says, so they asked him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and told me, go to Salome and wash. So when I went and washed, I received my sight. It's that simple. Some dude named Jesus did all this and now I can see. And they went, where is he? I was like, I, I don't know. I had mud in my eyes. <laughs> he told me to go to the pool of Siloam. I went to the pool of Siloam and washed my eyes, and I could see. But he wasn't anywhere around. I don't know where he went. Ask somebody who could see. They brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. Why did they bring him to the Pharisees? Because the Pharisee says this is one of the messianic miracles that we're looking for. If, the, if anybody does this miracle right here, there's a possibility that they could be the Messiah. He's already done the first two. Now he's done the third one. What? And we've already said that he's doing it from the power of the devil. They brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. That the day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. Oh, here we go. Jesus did it again. He healed on the Sabbath. <laughs> you can't work on the Sabbath, the Pharisee said. You spit in the mud, that's work. You made mud, that's work. You put it on his eyes, that's work. You made the guy walk to Salome, that's work. What are you doing? That's in that book called the Mishnah. <laughs> that was their laws. That wasn't God's laws. That was their laws. It says, Then the Pharisees asked him again a second time how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, he told them. I washed and I can see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. He's talking about Jesus at this point. He keeps healing people on the Sabbath. This isn't right. But others were saying, how can a sinful man perform such signs? If he's really of the devil, how does he keep doing these messianic miracles? And now there was division among them. What's that division? The ones who couldn't change their minds and the ones that were changing their minds. Again, the they asked the blind man, third time, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He's a prophet. Very simple. He's a prophet. The Jews did not believe this about him, that he was blind and received sight. I mean, he's standing right. Everybody knows this is the guy that's been sitting there forever begging. They know this guy. He can see. How many fingers am I holding him up? He tells them. They can't believe it. It says, until they summon the parents. Of, now we're calling your parents in. 
till they summoned the parents of the one who received his sight. They asked him, is this your son? The one you say was born blind? How then does he now see? You have a blind son. This really can't be your son. Confirm that he is your son. We know this is our son. And that he was born blind, his parents answered. But we don't know how he sees. And we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. Now, of age back then was probably like 14 years old. You immediately went, he's 21 years old. Back then it was a lot younger. He says, he's of age. He's going to speak for himself. Why did they say that? It says, his parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews. Since the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him as the Messiah, he would be banned from the synagogue. This is why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. I don't want to be kicked out of the synagogue. I don't want to be kicked out of the faith. Let my son be kicked out of the faith. That's crazy. Fear has now set in with his parents. How how do you even respond to that? You go back, if they just would have known, if they just would have known what Isaiah said. Isaiah 51, 12, it says, I... I'm the one who comforts you. Who are you that you should fear humans who die? Or a son of man who is given up like grass? If they just would have known what Isaiah had said, that might have taken away the fear that they had of facing the Pharisees. Verse 24, it says, So a second time they summoned the man who had been blind and told him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Why did they know he's a sinner? Because he was born blind. And they thought that the specific sin was the result of him being blind. It says he answered, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I can see. Can I say it any clearer to you Pharisees? All I can tell you is I was blind. And honestly, you guys know it. But I'm standing here and I can see you very clearly. He said, they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? One more time. I already told you, and you didn't listen. You didn't have ears to hear. Hello, Jesus has been saying this all along to him. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become disciples too, do you? <laughs> That's good. He looks at the Pharisees and he goes, Are you all thinking that he's the Messiah? Really? Is there division in this room? I mean, you've been telling me all along that he's not. But look what he did. He says, 
they ridiculed him. You're that man's disciple, but we're Moses' disciples. We've got the law. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we have no idea where he's from. He keeps saying he's from God. We know he's from Nazareth. No good thing comes from Nazareth. If I'm, if I'm the blind man and I'm standing there before these Pharisees are just ridiculing me and looking me down, I would probably go back to Psalm 27. Like one of the things that uh, I'm working on right now, just give me give me some time, is I'm trying to put together a project for this group right here. That when you're down and you need to be comforted, that you can just listen to this thing right here and it will encourage you. I'm working on that. We're working on that. It'll happen. But if this blind man could have just recalled Psalm 27, it says, the Lord is my light, my salvation. Some of you in this room need to be comforted today. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom should I be afraid? When evildoers came against me to devour my flesh, my foes and my enemies stumbled and fell. Though an army deploys against me, my heart is not afraid. Though a war breaks out against me, still I am confident. I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire. To dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking Him in His temple. For he will conceal me in his shelter in the day of adversity. He will hide me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. Then my head will be high above my enemies around me. And I will offer sacrifices in his tent with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Lord, hear my voice when I call. Be gracious to me and answer me. My heart says this about you. You are to seek my face. Lord, I will seek your face. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not leave me or abandon me, God of my salvation. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord cares for me. Because of my adversaries, show me your way, Lord, and lead me on a level path. Do not give me over to the will of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me breathing violence. I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and courageous. Wait for the Lord. Some of you just need to be comforted today. The man said, this is an amazing thing. <laughs> you don't know where he's from. And yet he opened my eyes. We don't we know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God fearing and does his will, he listens to him. How the how the blind man's preaching to the Pharisees. 
Maybe they can be saved. Maybe they can, they can hear this. It says, throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. It's never been done before. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. The blind man is testifying about Jesus at this point. He's speaking boldly, yet he's never even seen him. It says, you were born entirely in sin, they replied. Really? The guy just poured his heart out right there and just said, look, I'm telling you the truth. And they said, sorry, you're from sin and are trying to teach us. Then they threw him out. What did they do? The religious leaders officially excommunicated this man from the local synagogue. They threw him out. You don't belong here anymore. You're not a part of us. Hello? You're not a part of us. They did not have ears to hear. Oh, but this is the good part. Wait. If he can't go to the synagogue, that means he can't hang out with those people. In fact, his family won't even hang out with him because he's been excommunicated. This man is isolated. He's alone. But who did Jesus look for? The outcast. Watch this. Close up right here. Last few verses. Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out. And when he found them, like Jesus went and looked for this man. He got thrown out of the synagogue. Jesus sought the blind man that had been healed by him. And he went to him, and he says to him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, there's a difference, as I explained early on, between being intellectual and understanding information versus having revelation. having true revelation from the Spirit of God. This man had information. This man was called a sinner. This man didn't know who was talking to him. Now all of a sudden, you you realize that religious people despise revelation. (laughs) Right? Like the Pharisees despise revelation. It like upsets their apple cart. It totally crashes their routine. We've got a routine here. It's all written down in the law and the Mishnah. And if you come up here and you mess it up, you've messed up our whole gig. Religious people despise revelation. And the blind man says to him, after he asks him, Who's, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? That I may believe in him. I... I sure would like to believe in the Son of Man. And Jesus answered. He probably just like took his face. He says, you have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you.
blind man's hardly seen any faces at all. One of the first faces he's seen after the Pharisees is the Messiah. He did not see him when he healed him. And automatically he says, I believe, Lord. And it says that he worshipped him. He probably knelt down right there and worshipped him. I can see think if you spent your whole life in darkness and all of a sudden you're standing in the face of Jesus. And Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment in order that those who do not see will see. And those who do see will become blind. In other words, if you're religious you're not going to see this. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and asked him, we aren't blind too, are we? We can see. Hello? And Jesus says, if you were blind, you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. I don't get it. I'm getting it. I'm still getting it. I'm still processing. I'm still learning. Lord, teach me. Lord, teach me. Lord, teach me. I don't want to miss anything that he wants to teach me. I want to be able to say to you, as the pastor, as the leader, I don't get it all. I'm still learning. I even may be wrong. That's why it's important for you to take whatever I say up here and filter it through this thing right here. Because I may be lying to you. I'd rather have you go figure it out yourself. And we sit down and have coffee, and we talk about it. Don't depend on me to teach you about Jesus. Depend on the Spirit who lives in you to cause you to see it and will reveal it to you very clearly because he's capable of doing that. Father, I pray for us that we have ears to hear and eyes to see and that you constantly are teaching us that you will show us what your word truly says. And then even in this group right here, we sharpen one another. We become brothers and sisters in the word that we can look at it, understand it because of your spirit in us, and we can have some incredible conversations teaching one another. Lord, I pray that for this group. Lord, let that happen. But Lord, uh, I pray for those that need to be comforted today. You bring much comfort, and I trust you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.